We thank God for our media team and all the work they do to serve us all the time. It's a new month and February is Black History Month. Uh, Carter Woodson is a historian and a catalyst towards Black History Month. Every president since 1976 has supported, celebrated Black History Month. And it lands on February because Frederick Douglass sadly was born into slavery, but overcame and was a prominent leader in the abolitionist movement. My encouragement to you during this month is to take some time and research because there's so many powerful stories about overcoming adversity. They are inspiring stories and such an important part of our country today. And many of these stories are rooted in a deep faith and walk with Jesus Christ. So check out some biographies, celebrate research, and we're grateful for the nation that we have and, and together that we would be united and one nation under God as well. We are in a new series as we start today, and the series is called The Kingdom. And we are going to be focusing on and walking through God's word, the parables of Jesus. The kingdom and the parables. In this series, there are going to be some things where they stand out, there's clarity, there's going to be other areas where there's mystery. The nature of the parables is to reveal hidden things. And the nature of the kingdom is that it's so wonderful. And the parables are also very practical and physical. And we're going to bring those two together. So are you ready to go on a journey bringing the parables and the kingdom together in this series? All right, 1045, a little more excited than 9 o'clock. But who's comparing? Who's comparing? Uh, let's pray together. Jesus Christ, we thank you and praise you. You are the king. You are worthy. You are faithful. You're our savior and redeemer. We give you praise today. And Jesus, we thank you that you said if we abide with you, our house will be a house on the rock and not the sand. We know the streams rise. We know the storms come. We know the wind will blow. That's a given. But we're here thanking you today in the shifting, not a house on the sand, but a house on the rock because of you, Jesus. You are our rock and our eyes are on you today. We pray in your name, Lord. Amen. Parables are stories, allegories, riddles, and illustrations that ultimately bring revelation. They give us a glimpse who God is and what God is doing. They also teach us about who we are and what we can do, and they reveal the truth of the king and the kingdom. Now in Matthew chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus in the context is teaching in parables. Jesus taught in parables. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. It was a prophecy that when the Messiah comes, he's going to teach in these parables. And this goes back to the Old Testament, Psalm 78. It's referring to Psalm 78, where we read, my people hear my teaching, Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. The parables reveal truth about God's kingdom. And not only that, but we take that truth and we share it with the next generation. 
one generation to the next generation to the next generation. I'm so glad that that happens at Grace every week in our homes and as we gather here. The kingdom is for all nations. The kingdom is for all generations. And the parables are gonna celebrate the truth of the kingdom. Now here's our prayer as we start the series. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. When the followers of Jesus were wondering how do we pray? And we have that same question today. How do we pray? The Lord taught them a prayer. We call it the Lord's prayer. It's really the Lord teaching the disciples. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It means holy is your name. We've been singing that today. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. May it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice the start of the prayer. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. That's how we pray. Thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. Now that's a shift because for a lot of us in our hearts, if we're honest, we're thinking about my kingdom, my name, and my will. Right? Being honest at church is a good thing. My name, my kingdom, my will. That's not the prayer. The prayer is thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. It's a shift in our hearts towards God's kingdom when we say thy kingdom come. That's the the prayer and the cry of our hearts in this series, thy kingdom come. Jesus said it clearly in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added. What are you seeking first in life? Make the shift to seek first the kingdom of God. It is the priority above all priorities. When we make that shift, we're in alignment with heaven. Our souls are right. There is health, there is healing, there is restoration. Seek first thy kingdom and all things will be added. This is our priority. Priorities are intentional. They speak to what you think is most important in life. Seek first thy kingdom. Did you know it's very possible and common to have a life that's comfortable, pleasurable, to have a life that feels good and completely miss the main thing. You can have a life of luxury, materialism. You can have a life of all the comfortable things you can find and you can completely miss the main thing, the king and the kingdom. It's easy to miss in our culture today. We are not of this world. There is a kingdom that's far greater than this world. The Bible says, not of this world. The kingdom is spiritual, eternal, powerful, hopeful, and real. God's kingdom has a king. Jesus is the king of kings. Every kingdom has a king. This kingdom is spiritual, eternal, powerful, hopeful, and real. The kingdom is here. You don't have to wait till 2024. You don't have to wait till 2028. The kingdom is already here. It's already and not yet. Already, today, right now, God is doing kingdom work all around the world and also not yet. We haven't seen the fullness of the kingdom. We haven't seen the consummation. We haven't seen the return of the king. We long for more. It's already and it's not yet. This is God's kingdom. God is transforming lives daily and the kingdom is growing daily around the world. That's setting the table for the series. That's where we're going. Today, we're gonna focus on three elements of the kingdom 
and these parables found in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 18. Very short, concise parables with a profound, deep meaning. Let's unpack it. Jesus says in Luke 13, 18, he asks questions. What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? Now, notice how often Jesus asks questions and what a great listener Jesus is. I'm convinced if we abide with Jesus, we're gonna ask more questions and we're gonna listen better than we've ever listened. He's asking questions about the kingdom of God. In the Bible, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of Christ are all synonymous. Old Testament, New Testament, saturated with references to the kingdom of God. Over 70 references in the New Testament. You say, well, what is this kingdom? Romans chapter 14, 17 gives us this insight. The kingdom of God is not one of food and drinking and eating, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I like fajitas, but that's not the story of the kingdom. You, you probably like some coffee shops, but, but that ultimately is not the kingdom. You can enjoy those things, but the kingdom is something much deeper. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. A relationship with God, our souls, depth. Yes, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know if you're really like, the kingdom is, is something that you're running with? Well, here's how you know. You're gonna have righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy will flood you when you abide with Jesus and you're all about the kingdom. Say, well, how do you know if you kind of drift and you're not really about the kingdom? Because righteousness, peace, and joy, then they start to dissipate because this is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. Why does Jesus ask those questions? He wants to stir our curiosity, whet our appetite. He asks questions so that we'll be eager to learn more, so that we'll think We'll think about the kingdom. We'll focus on the kingdom more. We'll value the kingdom more. We will live building up the kingdom. All of this through the questions. And then after the questions, in verse 19, Jesus says, it is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Now, Jesus is gonna use some different metaphors and one of them is with seeds, kingdom seeds, and that's an intentional investment, kingdom seeds. It's incredible how Jesus can take this eternal kingdom with so much awe and wonder and then bring it right down to something agricultural that everyone understands. In that culture, people know what a mustard seed is. It's a very small seed. And that little mustard seed will grow to one of the biggest shrubs or the biggest shrub in Palestine, 12, 15 feet. It'll become this small tree in one season. Do you know God can take a seed and in one season, that seed can grow into something wonderful and marvelous. Now the birds are blessed. It's a picture of the kingdom of God starting kind of small, quiet under the radar in the expansion and the beauty and the blessing of the kingdom of God. A literal mustard seed is what Jesus uses to describe the kingdom. When you think in the Bible about seeds, that's a theme that runs through many chapters. God's word is a seed. God's word is spoken, read, shared, and it lands in hearts. The condition of your heart today is either one that is good soil or it's one 
that is distracted or selfish or chasing after the world or a little cynical, stubborn, guarding sin, you've got a condition today on your heart. And if your heart is teachable, it's good soil and God's word will land and produce 30, 60, 100 fold. One word can do so much for you in your inner life and then also where you live, work, learn, or play. It's the power of God's word. God's word is living and active. We wanna have hearts that are good soil. And it's important to cultivate the habit when it comes to the word. Spend time in the word daily and let the word dwell in you richly. You know, we just finished fasting as a church to start with the first three weeks in January of fasting. And I've been hearing people say, one of my commitments now is to be at church every weekend to be in the word, not casual, do we feel like going, but let's make it a rhythm, let's make it a habit. And other people, I'm gonna be in the word daily because when you're in the word daily and we together are in the word, there's a rhythm, there's a, God's power starts to move, teachable hearts, time in God's word, God's word in us. It'll produce 30, 60, 100 fold. We value, we cultivate that habit. And when you receive God's word, your passion to serve is gonna grow. Your passion to serve other people. There was someone who shared their story that during this time of fasting and prayer, God was leading them and speaking to them during our drive-through prayer. If you're new at Grace, you might not know, but on Fridays from five to seven, we have a team of people who stand on the edge of the parking lot and they hold up signs and people can just pull in. Prayer. This is the 84th Friday that they've been out there holding signs and praying with people in our community. And more people just keep coming. More people keep coming. And this man who was fasting for three weeks said, I've been holding the sign, the prayer sign, and God's been reassuring and telling me that as I hold that and thousands of people drive by, God is gonna work in their hearts. God is gonna help them return to God and that this is a place of prayer where they can come. And people are coming and they pull in in tears. They might not have a church home. Many of them don't know Jesus, but you know what? They're looking for hope and they see care and authenticity and they come in for prayer. People come in saying, I'm stuck in this addiction. People pull in this week saying, I wanna end my life. I have no hope. And you know what happens? Conversations and hope starts to come and prayers. And the people are going from the street in Auburn Way into the love of God, into our church and getting connected in our life groups too. And they're part of the family. And God is doing this work, why? Because God will put a seed in your heart like it's time to start going out in the community and praying with people. And then 30, 60, 100 fold, God will develop and grow the vision that he gives to you. We're seeing it in so many ways. You see it in the Bible. In the book of Acts, it's the history of the kingdom of God and it's the history of the church. In Acts chapter 16, they're showing up in a place of prayer. On Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of these listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This woman, Lydia, a successful businesswoman, had a sense 
that God exists. Yeah, I think God's out there somewhere, but I don't really know a lot about God, but I, I think God's real. And you know what happened? She heard about a relationship with God. She heard about being born again. She heard about Christ who died for her sins. And she put her trust in Jesus and the joy in her life and the fellowship, it spread throughout the city of Philippi. We have the book of Philippians, the church that started there. What just happened? There was a conversation where there were seeds and the conversation led to a conversion in her heart and in her soul. And then in joy, she started to share that with the community and build more community as the kingdom was growing. During the week, you're in conversations. And as you share God's word and your story, as you love people in those conversations, you share different words. You listen well. And all of that, it's like seeds that then move into hearts and there's conversions. And then, you know, the communities change. The cultures change where you live, work, learn, or play because you're carrying the kingdom. You're carrying the good news. You're carrying the love of Jesus to those places. And look what God does. Not only is seed literal, that there's a mustard seed, and seed is metaphorical in terms of it's also God's word. Here's one more layer when it comes to a seed. Your life is a seed. Your life is a seed and you choose where you invest it. Sometimes you're mistreated. You know, there's, I read this week, a Mexican proverb and it said, they tried to bury us. That's the proverb. They tried to bury us. So maybe you felt that recently, but they didn't know that we are seeds. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we're seeds. Jesus referred to his own life as a seed. John chapter 12, and he's talking about the sacrifice. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. I need to point out when it says hate their life, that doesn't mean you hate yourself. It's not the meaning. Don't let someone try to twist or taint that. Well, what does it mean to hate? Well, in this context, what it means is you step out of a self-centered life. That you start to live for God and you start to bless other people. You step out of a culture of self-consumed. You love people as you love yourself. Yes, you love people and you love yourself. But you don't keep elevating yourself above everyone else. And you don't keep elevating your name and your will above God's name and God's will. And when you step out of that life and you invest your seed well, you know what's going to happen? You're going to become fully alive. The irony is that if you focus on yourself first and you put yourself above everyone else and above God, you won't come fully alive. But when you understand your life is a seed and you have a temporary time on earth and you invest it well, you will come to a fullness of life. Jesus, a seed, invested many seeds, a kingdom that's eternal for all generations and nations, starting with the one seed, Jesus. There's a story of the seed. Your life your seed, it includes your time, your talent, your treasure, and the words on your tongue. You've been given so much. Invest well, invest your life well. Watch what God will do. See, a seed doesn't look impressive, 
And that's kind of how the kingdom starts out in some ways. It's not as obvious. It's a little quieter. It's humble. People looked at Jesus and they said, he comes from Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? <laughs> Nothing good comes from that town. The Messiah wouldn't you know, come from Nazareth. And then they looked at Jesus and they thought, well, he's just Mary and Joseph's son. Again, they overlooked and undervalued Jesus. They said, oh, he's just a carpenter, doesn't he? Savior of the world, that's a carpenter over there. And then he was humble. He's washing feet. You know what they thought the Messiah would be? They anticipated and had the expectation that he's gonna overthrow Rome. He's gonna be strong. He's gonna be a government leader, a military leader. And you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, it just didn't compute because they didn't know the scriptures and the power of God. They overlooked the coming Messiah, who Isaiah chapter 53 is a suffering servant who sacrifices. And yes, he will come back triumphant, but that's his second coming, his return, not his first coming. So because of that confusion, they didn't know the scriptures, they missed the whole king and the kingdom that was before them. And when Jesus died on a cross for our sins, that seed was planted, that he literally took our sin and gives us his righteousness, and it's a grace, and it's a gift, and we receive it. Why? because of the one seed, the many seeds are blessed. And the birds come because the birds are looking. Where is it safe? Where's the blessing? And they come on the branches and they fly over to the blessing and it all comes back to the seed. The kingdom, the seed, the intentional investment, starting with Jesus and he's the one we follow. It leads to the second parable in Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 20. And again, Jesus asked another question. What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Kingdom yeast is the next metaphor and it's a proactive purpose. Yeast, I'm no expert. I'm not strongly gifted in the kitchen. Stuff I try to bake or make, uh, kids don't really want it again. Uh, I don't have a lot of illustrations when it comes to food and, and baking, but I know enough about yeast. I've seen that you mix yeast into a large amount of flour and it is pervasive. It is dynamic. And when you start that process, you, won't, you can't reverse it. You can't say, oh, let me just take that yeast out of there. God who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Yeast, pervasive, and it's positive, it's proactive, it has a lot of kingdom purpose. Now, maybe if you're familiar with the Bible, you're also thinking, wait, I've heard yeast before in a negative sense, and that's also true. In Mark chapter eight, Jesus says, be aware, be alert, be discerning, because there's so much false teaching in the world. There is so much false teaching in this culture that'll start out with the truth and then go the wrong way. You'll end up with a half truth. It'll sound seductive, it'll sound spiritual, but it'll not lead you to Jesus. Instead, it's kind of, you could name it. You know, it's cult, it's new age, it's humanism, it's just twisted. And so he says, it's like a yeast. People bring that message and it spreads around the culture. In his time, it was the Pharisees, the religious leaders. It was self-righteousness, hypocrisy. It was pride and they would just teach it around and it just spread around the culture. Well, the same thing happens today. And now you've just heard two very different contrasting pictures of yeast. It either brings life or it's destructive. It's either truth or it's no truth or a half truth and they conflict with each other. And today, where we live, work, learn, or play, there is a battle 
between truth and lies, love and deception, the kingdom and a bunch of nonsense. And that gets played out and you need to be discerning because it's really easy to be duped. And in fact, for those who know truth and love and goodness, if you stay quiet, the other yeast will be pervasive in the culture. If you have the yeast that brings hope and you stay quiet, you know what's gonna happen? The other teaching will invade the culture. There'll be a deterioration morally and spiritually because there's so much false teaching and those who have this kingdom yeast are just silent and reserved. Watch what'll happen. There's a responsibility in the culture to bring the light and love of Jesus because if you try to hide it, the darkness will start to take over. And these dynamics are real. And you think, well, why would we ever wanna stay quiet about like the greatest news of all time, the love of the savior, the kingdom? Well, Elizabeth Elliot, her husband was killed, uh, says it this way. If we do anything to further the kingdom of God, we may expect to find what Christ found on that road, abuse, indifference, injustice, misunderstanding, and trouble. To that, you were called. You were called to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Sometimes when you're really doing your best kingdom work and the power of God's running through you, you might be mistreated, misunderstood, mocked. There might be slander. There might be someone who steps out of your friend group, but know that that is part of the call. Os Guinness says it this way, Jesus made it clear that the kingdom of God is organic. It grows like a seed, it works like leaven, secretly, invisibly, surprisingly, and irresistibly. You are called when it comes to the kingdom, you're called. And notice in the Bible, it's a great Bible study to look at the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and contrast when they have the Holy Spirit and when they're just trying to do life on their own strength. And look at their lives the peace they have, the peace they don't have. The influence they have, the influence they forfeit. Watch the difference between disciples who have and are filled with the Holy Spirit and ones who are trying to do it all in their own strength. And what does that tell us? Nothing's really changed. Going back to the truth of Pentecost, that God wants to fill us with his presence. And without his presence, the church is gonna be a stumbling mess without the presence of God. It's not about the building, the chairs. It's not about the lights. It's not about how comfortable the room is. That what really matters right now is the presence of God in you filled up because that's when the love and the joy and peace are gonna start to heal and restore. Not only in this room, but in your home and in the nation. God's presence. The unlikely group, that 12 that Jesus chose. You, you could read that and think, did Jesus get something wrong here? Jesus spent all night before he selected and chose the 12. Unlikely 12. If you looked at them, you'd think that's not a group of world changers. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure they could change a neighborhood. I mean, God must've made a mistake. He didn't pick those who were, you know, theologically eloquent. He didn't pick those that appeared to have the best gifts. He, he just chose like everyday people. Like surely this mission and kingdom is so significant that God would choose more impressive people, right? That's not the kingdom. 
That's not the king. He chose the 12 because in our weakness, God is powerful. And you are a culture changer and God transforms you on the inside and then it overflows. This is the kingdom. God works inside of you and then it leads into your relationships, the way you listen and talk, serve and love other people. See, there was a woman who understood the kingdom and she's brand new at following Jesus. And there's the disciples who Jesus is trying to train and help them develop and grow. And they're just missing it frequently. In John chapter four, this woman had been divorced several times. People kind of gave up on her. She was ostracized. And yet, you know what happened? Jesus says, I've got living water for you. And she drinks and her soul is satisfied. In John chapter four, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's unpacking what's happening. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? (laughs) Remember, the kingdom of God is not about food, eating and drinking, (laughs) righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What does that tell us? The 12 were focused on physical food. Jesus is talking about kingdom food. The 12 are kind of isolated. And you know what happens? This woman, she is so kingdom-minded that she starts sharing the good news with her community. People start turning to Jesus. And the 12 over here are kind of like, she's too excited about outreach. I think she missed something. And I'm not sure you should even talk to her in the first place. Don't you know she's a Samaritan? Jesus, did you lose track of how many times she's been divorced? And Jesus is running with this one while the 12 professional disciples who've got all the knowledge, they're with Jesus every day, they're missing the kingdom. In her mind and heart, it's kingdom, 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 kingdom. Thy kingdom come. That's her heart. That's her passion. Jesus changed her life. We read about Paul who's thrown in jail, injustice, mistreated. Maybe some of you have gone through some brutal stuff, abuse. Well, what happens in jail? Paul writes letters. That's how we have the Bible. He's writing letters to different churches. Visitors are coming and he's encouraging them. He's leading people to Jesus. He's bold in jail. He's bold in house arrest. You think, well, is a persecution gonna increase? He sees a jailer that's about to take his life and Paul steps in, leads that jailer to Jesus and then the jailer's family and they're baptized. You see what God's doing in terms of the kingdom? Paul, when he's in court and going through their system, their legal system, he will share his story over and over and over again so that everyone in court can hear how Jesus has changed his life. He will reach leaders. Some of the top political leaders will show up and have a conversation about Jesus because Paul's gonna plant seeds everywhere he's going. Kingdom seeds, kingdom seeds. They take him on a ship, kingdom seeds. They take him to Rome, kingdom seeds, kingdom seeds. He says, you can throw me in jail, but you can't bind the word of God. You know why? Because in his heart and mind, kingdom, 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 kingdom. It doesn't matter if you put me in Auburn, Covington, Kent, or downtown Seattle. It doesn't matter if I work for this company or that company, if I coach this team or that team, if you put me in this neighborhood or that neighborhood, if you take me and drop me in another country tomorrow, what's going to come out? I pray for all of us. It would be kingdom, 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 because that's what we're all about. That's the DNA of Jesus. That's the fire of God. And we know what's important in life. And all of the material things are fleeting and will fade and will disappear but God's kingdom is forever. 
see kingdom momentum, you say, what's more exciting than seeing lives changed? Joy, mental health, fulfillment, marriages restored. You see widows taken care of. You see orphans have a forever family. You see people get clean water. You see starving kids with food. You see people finding the hope of God. Suicidal people that realize the life that is truly life. See, what's more exciting? The, the more seeds that you plant, the more yeast and the kingdom work going through the dough, the more momentum there is. And you start to realize the value of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uses this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, there it is, the kingdom and joy, they go together. Went and sold all he had, and he bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. The point here is not that you could earn your way to heaven or purchase your way into heaven. That would be a false teaching and someone twisting scripture. But what this says that the kingdom is so valuable when you really see the kingdom for what it is, everything else you kind of have, it's secondary. Your best car, your best house, your best outfit, it's so, so secondary. So don't make it primary. Keep the kingdom primary. That's where the joy is. You say, well, what does that look like? Josiah, I'm gonna give this example in the Old Testament. The kingdom begins kind of smaller and quieter. Josiah was a very young king. And the kingdom moves from person to person. And in Josiah's family, his grandfather is Manasseh. Manasseh made some terrible decisions. Manasseh chose idols, cult, and it included child sacrifice. Manasseh was so off base that he thought killing kids would honor God. That's how whacked it was. And the grace of God at the end of Manasseh's life He's receiving the grace of God. It's a great Bible study. Check out Manasseh. But that's his grandpa. And then his dad, Amon. This is what the Bible says about Amon, A-M-O-N. It says, you're familiar with Manasseh's story? Well, Amon actually chose much more sin than Manasseh. Much more sin. Much more sin than all the kids killed, thinking that pleased God. So that's his parents. That's his legacy. You have a legacy spiritually. I wanna tell you today, if your family's gone one way, you can go in a new direction today. That's Josiah's story. You can go in a different direction. If your parents miss something about God and something's off base, at eight years old, he was king. And at eight years old, he decided to honor God. His mother, Jedidah, Jedidah, We don't have that name a lot in our culture. J-E-D-I-D-A-H. Jedida was a godly woman. And we don't know the details, but how many times did mom pray over him? Maybe share her story, share scripture, encourage him. Mom's voice would change the nation. Mom's voice can change the nation. Mom's prayers, when no one else is in there, she's interceding, she's caring. She's building up her son. At 16, he seeks God with all his heart. Would you say that that's true of your life today? That you're seeking God with all your heart? At 16, he made that decision. We have 16-year-olds at our church making that decision. At age 20, what happened? There was revival and there was reformation. What, What did that look like? It started in Jerusalem and he removed the idols. He removed 
the, the bogus statues and the carved images. And not only did he remove it, but he made sure it was reduced to dust. He took all the idol worship, Baal worship, and he reduced those images down to dust because it was time to have purity in the land. It was time to honor God in the land. And what else did he do? He got a team of people that caught his vision and passion. It's so important that you find a team of people when God leads you to do something that has your vision and your passion. If the people around you don't share it, you're not gonna go so far and they're gonna be holding you back all the time. But when you have that team around you, with the same vision and passion, a nation can change. Josiah knew the importance of team and there was one Hilkiah who discovered the Bible. They were so against the Bible in that culture, you couldn't even find a copy. Today, our culture is moving more and more biblically illiterate. It's like, let's push God's word out of here. We wanna go with our own word. Well, the decline, had, it was a free fall back then, but Hilkiah found God's word and they blew the dust off the copy of God's word. And the king started to read it. And the king started to weep and he tore his clothes and he led with repentance. He realized we've rejected God. We've rejected the kingdom. We've rejected his word. And he gathered the nation around and started to read the scripture. As I was meditating on Josiah's life this week, I had this picture of what if we gathered at Washington, D.C., the national lawn, and just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Over 80 chapters, 12 hours. What if we just read God's word? What would happen in the nation? Would we return to God with all our heart? One nation under God? What would happen with the scripture? I know what happened then. They committed all their heart and their soul. They began to worship, and there was a movement. There was momentum. There was spiritual momentum. You say, well, how important is this kingdom stuff? You know, every day, 250,000 people die and they step into eternity. And they'll either spend eternity in God's presence, his love, or they're gonna say, no, God, that's not what I want. And God doesn't force anyone. And there'll be people choosing a different eternity, separated from God. 250,000 people every day. Maybe you have some loved ones that have recently passed. It's a lot to consider, this kingdom. And what do we do with that? There's a king, a benevolent king. His name is Jesus. And for you today, maybe the next step for you is to decide to follow Jesus. Know that your sins are forgiven. You're in God's family. You have peace with God. You're accepted. No one can ever separate you from the love of Christ. He's your savior. There's no better offer in life. You can look at a lot of offers. There's nothing more gracious or loving or faithful than what Jesus offers you. And maybe today's your day, not just to be religious, because that's not gonna do anything, but to have a relationship with Jesus. And maybe for some of you, you made that decision, but you're thinking about the kingdom and you've kind of gotten discouraged or distracted. And you know what? The things of this world, they just have a way of kind of swaying us sometimes. And today you're hearing a message that you wanna keep going with God and you wanna be kingdom-minded, kingdom work, see lives transformed. And maybe you're tempted to give up. So I'm gonna close with this story on Florence Chadwick. She swam, very inspiring. She's the only woman, the first woman to cross the English Channel both ways swimming. And she had the goal 
to swim from Catalina, which is an island off the coast of California. And she wanted to swim from Catalina back to the California coast, 22 miles. Now her team included her mom, who was in the boat next to her, cheering her on. That day was very cold and very foggy. And she couldn't tell where she was swimming. She wanted to give up so many times. But her mom kept speaking to her daughter, keep going, keep going, keep going. And she kept hearing that, persevering, hearing that, persevering. But you know what happened? Because of the fog, the exhaustion, emotionally, physically, she said, that's it. I'm getting in the boat. It's over. And she climbed in the boat. Now she discovered later on, as the boat went into the coast, that she was less than a half mile away. Less than a half mile, so close. And you know what she said? All I saw was the fog. If I could have seen the coast, I would have made it. I would have made it. And some of you feel like there's so much fog in your life right now. It's just discouraging. And today through these parables, you're getting a glimpse of the coast. You're getting a glimpse of the kingdom that you would not quit, that you would not give up because God goes ahead of you and he's with you and he's for you and this kingdom work is significant. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you how you meet us, Lord. You pursue us, you're patient. We thank you for your power. God, I thank you for each person today that's making a first time decision to follow you as Lord and Savior. God, I thank you for people deciding to get baptized today. I thank you, God, for the encouragement that comes, Jesus, by putting our eyes on you. And I pray that our prayer would be, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Move our hearts, God, in this series. As we draw near to you, thank you, you draw near to us. We pray in your name, Lord.